Hello, everybody. I'm Clay Brees, and this is The Point. We unpack the objective truth. This blue chip discussion is for all of Southeast Pennsylvania, Delaware Valley. You see, The Point is the place to be for compelling discussion not heard anywhere else. We supremely unpack the details with a punch, and we expose the hidden facts of the initiatives being supported by our lawmakers and our candidates for running for office. And we also discuss the developments and the milestones that are not being thoroughly reported by the mainstream, lamestream, fake news, Pravda propaganda networks and their fake journalists. Today, I want to talk to you a little bit about, well, first off, I want to thank again, and I like opening the show by just thanking everyone that you've made us your guiding light in times of political upheaval and turmoil. And I guess the reason is because, as I stated, we do unpack the truth in a way that unpacks with a punch. And that's why we're here. We appreciate your tuning in. I want to talk a little bit about the Fauci shuffle. And I think what's interesting on all this is what is the Fauci shuffle? What is it? Is it a, is it a new dance made up by, uh, by pop, made popular by the sultans of Sinister and the Pravda propaganda networks? Is that what it is? No, folks, it's it's a dance, all right, but it's composed by the Sultans of Sinister to convince unwitting Americans that Fauci is so smart and his predictions are so ironclad, and without Fauci, we cannot survive a biological attack. That's what this is all about. That's what the Fauci shuffle's all about. This is deceit, folks. Media malpractice, plain and simple. You know, Jake Tapper asked Fauci last Sunday. He had asked him that he had asked the question: If we had gone into lockdown sooner, you know, practice social separation and so forth. And I guess I'm I'm kind of paraphrasing the question, but he basically asked Fauci if we had gone into these precautions sooner, would more lives have been saved? Well, of course, Fauci. Of course, forgot that he had multiple interviews prior. I mean, he, he forgot. He forgot he had multiple interviews. Just five weeks and eight weeks prior. Interviews where he was saying that the COVID-19 was not a major threat for people. It's not something citizens should be worried about. He went on to state in other interviews, it isn't something American people need to worry about or be frightened of. He was even out front saying on the same networks that there was no danger, he, that we don't need to, to wear masks if we're not experiencing symptoms. Folks, he stated in February that we can go on to cruise ships if we want, if we're young and healthy. No need to worry because the risks are low. Anybody that's been watching these interviews know that he over and over said over and over, these risks are low. I've been saying it on daily briefings, multiple interviews, I mean, for the last five, six weeks, from late January right through February. You know, and again, Jake Tapper, when he asked the question, of course, Fauci said what he said. He said, of, of course, he said that we could have, we could have saved more people, but he kind of he kind of made the the implication that there's fighting behind the scenes, butting of the heads with the president. As he said, you know, we're just 
we're just uh, in, infection experts, and we stated to the president, uh, you know, what the risks were, and he made the decisions. Now we are where we are. Now that, and again, that's a paraphrase of what Fauci said, but basically he just blamed the president, saying it was the president's plan. But he forgot all his interviews I just stated that he had over and over. He had multiple interviews, multiple interviews. Well, even Jake Tapper forgot. I'm sure Jake Tapper even got that answer from him, and he forgot. You know, folks, it's Monday morning quarterbacking, but it's target Trump. This is Operation Target Trump. These people are targeting our president, and their operation is a daily dose of this. And CNN just summed it up on that on that Sunday interview with Jake Tapper. I mean, this is really rich. I mean, why didn't Jake Tapper? I mean, why didn't he exercise? Why didn't he exercise judicial? I should say journalistic prudence. By asking a follow-up question, well, Mr. Fauci, what were you were you pointing to this in prior interviews? And immediately, Fauci would have hemmed and hawed. You would have seen the sound go out. Look, they're trying to paint up the scenario that Trump is arguing with Fauci. They're trying to say, oh, there's there's problems that Trump is having with Fauci. This is what they're doing. This is media malpractice. Okay, they're targeting Trump, and this is what they're doing. I mean, you have Jake Tapper asking in the question if we had if we had been better at instilling panic sooner, pandemonium panic sooner. I mean, we've got people that are actually afraid to breathe, folks. I mean, this is really, this is amazing. But he's asking that if, if we had taken these precautions sooner, and I'm going to paraphrase it, I'm going to throw it out there, if we instilled panic sooner, you know, tell everyone not to go to work, stay home, would we have saved more lives? It's just one of those questions that didn't need to be asked, and I thought it was amazing to me because, again, we have to ask, why didn't Tapper remember or remind Fauci or bring up the idea of the prior interviews, where, where was where was the exercising of journalistic prudence? Again, I'm, I'm asking, why wasn't it there? Why? Well, we can. There's only two answers to that. It's either media malpractice or it's complete incompetence. It's one or the other. It's either deliberate malpractice or it's incompetence, folks. I lean towards malpractice only because I don't believe these people, for an instant, believe that Fauci. I mean, because they, they all remember what they were saying prior to this. I remember back in February, them saying, you don't need to wear masks. Now, here we are seven weeks later. Everyone needs to wear a mask. As I stated, folks, their plan is to, is to get Trump. That's their target. Now, CNN is, we used to call them the Clinton News Network back in the early 90s. You realize it was CNN that actually came up with the red state, blue state. I remember watching it in the presidential election in 1992. That's when we first saw the red state, blue state. I thought it was interesting on that. I said to my wife at the time, I said, wow, they just they just coined red state, blue state. Well, why did they make the Republicans the red state? I don't even understand where that came from. And how did the Democrats have the blue state? Well, when you look at focus group studies and, you know, the number, the, the color red has negative connotations. The number of blue, the color blue, I should say, has positive connotations. 
But whatever the case is, CNN coined it. It's it's funny. And, and if you ask the question, you can go back and you see from the 1992 election coverage, you'll see where CNN came up with it. But whatever the case is, okay, we are with it today. Here we are 30 years later and we're sitting with it again, 28 years later. But CNN does a recent poll. And again, I, I, I like to point to these polls because last week we talked about the ABC News Washington Post poll. And this week, we're going to talk about the CNN poll. Now, the CNN poll had a total of 1,000 adults that were interviewed by telephone nationwide. Now, they call landline cell phones, whatever. Now, the interviews were conducted in English and Spanish. But among the entire sample, we saw that 35% were Democrats, 25% were Republicans, and and uh, 41% we're independents. Now, that leaves you a little bit over what the number is, but you get the gist. 40% or so were independents, okay? Or members of another party. Now, how in the, how in the blazes do they come up with four out of 10 voters in a standard election that are not affiliated with either party? First off, folks, that's a lie. That is an absolute sham. That's a lie. That is, that is a, that's a ball-faced lie. I mean, when they put that out there, Look, independents make up maybe 18% of the total electorate on election day, and that's across the country. Some states, the independents make up about 25%, but most states, independents make up under 20%. A realistic poll would be more like uh, maybe uh, Democrats say, maybe Democrats say it. Oh, I don't know, 40, 30, Republicans say maybe 40, maybe Democrats at 42, Republicans 40, somewhere in there. And then the independents would be like 18, 19. Okay, that's basically where you're at. I mean, you can play with those numbers like by one or two points. I think that's reasonable. Okay. But I think to, 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 to survey the sample, if you will, of independents to what they did here at 41%, that is unbelievable. Now, remember, we did this last week. They surveyed independents at 33%. Again, way higher. And again, Republicans are an afterthought. In this poll, like they were the last poll at ABC News. In this poll, they were 24%. In last poll, they were 27%. And that's why I'm off, folks, because I uh, miss I misspoke on the Republican survey. They weren't 25. They were 24%. Okay. So anyway, getting back to what I'm saying. But that's, that's where this is, and I think it's a very interesting point okay they undersampled republicans heavily well in the abc news post poll we see washington post poll we saw and as i mentioned last week trump was actually beating biden by two points we see in the cnn poll here that biden beats trump by 10 points oh everybody's like oh my goodness biden's such a powerhouse you know as long as he as long as he doesn't have to remember what day of the week it is he's fine okay well, folks, they're trying to create a horse race. That's what some people would say. They're trying to create a horse race. I think they're doing it for more sinister reasons. That's why I call them the Sultans of Sinister. I believe they're actually out there trying to skew the polls so that Americans that support Trump are discouraged and Americans that hate Trump are encouraged. This is what their plan is. Make no mistake about it. So we here on The Point are going to reveal the facts, and we're going to unpack it with a punch. 
And if it discourages the people that do not like Trump, well, then so be it. We will discourage those people by giving them the real facts. And they should be discouraged because the Democrats don't have anything but promised punishments on businesses, okay, and promised death blows to the middle class. They don't offer anything that connects with anybody. And then to top it all off, their messenger talks like he's 100 years old. He talks like the, the, the you know, he talks like the, the aging grandfather on the porch. I mean, honestly, it's unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it, but, but they know it. They know they have a lousy candidate, and that's why they're, I believe they're using the, the stalking horse, as they call it, the stalking horse. I think that there's a possibility, and Dick Morris made the comment, there's a possibility they might be trying to insert Andrew the Pious, that's Andrew the Pious Cuomo, the governor of New York, because they know that, and he's the stalking horse. So what, what's interesting is that, that Biden's the stalking horse. He's the one out there trying to get all the defl- deflections, and all of a sudden, blam, they come in from behind the scenes with the real candidate. It's it's an old political maneuver that they use to, uh, well, for all intents and purposes, to uh, to get their real objective accomplished. But let's, you know, I just want to point this out because in a real poll, in a real polling situation, okay, where you would have, say, Democrats, like I said, polled at 41, Republicans polled at, say, 38, and maybe independents at 21, maybe? I, you know, and that would be a little high, folks, but I mean, I would even go there. But even if that was the case, if they had put those numbers out there, because Trump is so well liked and his approvals are so through the roof with Republicans, they know it's like 95% would say, I want Trump, I want Trump. See, the Trump derangement syndrome is almost exclusively with the Democrats, with a handful of independents, a handful, and an even smaller, sporadic number of, of uh country club, if you will, Republicans. Whatever the case is, in a real polling situation, the ABC News Post, Washington Post poll would have Trump at 58%, Biden 40, and you would likely have, in the CNN poll, Trump at 54 and Biden at 44. Either way, you're looking at polls where Trump is beating Biden handily. But again, they didn't put the Republican sampling in there because they didn't want to well, they 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 want to show Biden ahead. They want to give they want to give a false sense of security to the Biden people, thinking there's a horse race. Well, let me help all the Biden people out there, all the Biden folks, all the Biden supporters. We welcome you to the Trump train. We have room on the Trump train. Get on board the Trump train because we need to win this election. We will win this election, and we will be looking for America first. See, Biden is looking for China first. Biden wants to make China great again, and he's a globalist that wants to make China great again, and his supporters are globalists that want to make China great again. Trump and his supporters are America first, make America great again, keep America great. The American comeback is with Trump and the Republicans. And folks, make no mistake about it, Trump's going to make that case better than any other incumbent president we've ever experienced in our life. I don't want to miss that. I don't want our listeners to miss that. Because we know what happens in a general election. And like I said, the Make China Great Again globalists 
are supporting Biden and the Democrats. And to keep America great again, America first, Americans, <laughs> constitutionalists, are bringing their vote to Trump. And this is going to be the distinct difference between the two candidates. Make no mistake about it. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the target Trump in these press conferences. And I got to tell you something. Uh, on, on April 6th at the press conference, Trump had, he had Admiral Brett Giorgio, Giorgio I'm, I'm butchering his last name, I apologize, but he's the Assistant Secretary of HHS, HHS, and he works under Alex Azar, who's the Secretary of HHS. Well, we had media malpractice demonstrated at that press conference because they were actually referring to an outdated story from back, oh, about March 21st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, right in that window. And I call it outdated because Giorgio asserted that the testing results have dramatically improved in recent days because we kept seeing progress being made, not just in testing, but in the making of the creation and, and, and manufacturing of, of, of the necessary PPEs and other necessary health equipment we needed to fight this Chinese plague. Well, it was interesting because first you saw... Uh, the Fox News reporter, I can't think of her name. I want to say it was uh, Fisher. Amy Fisher, I want to say her name is. Uh, I might have her name wrong, but she she's the daughter of the astronaut. I know that. Okay. Anyway, she asked the question about Christie, Inspector General Christie Grimm of HHS, when she was complaining that they had to wait. They had to wait for, uh, they didn't have the testing components. They had to wait for those kits. Well, then, of course, Trump said, well, who, who, who said this? Who reported it? And, and, of course, Fisher said, oh, it was uh, the inspector general. Who was it? I don't have that information. Well, Jonathan Carl, being the good Marxist that he is in the back row, he decides to do all the lookups. So he does the lookup on it, and he gets his question oh, about eight minutes, ten minutes later. He says, oh, I have the name of that inspector general. It's named general, uh, inspector general is Christy Grimm. So Trump says, <laughs> so Trump says, all right, so. How long has she been with HH? How long has she been? How long has she been the Inspector General? Oh, she's been there for some time. Well, all right. Uh, who appointed her? Well, I don't. I don't have all that. Well, give me that information. So Trump goes on to other questions, and then here comes Jonathan Carl again with the question. And of course, Trump then finds out that Christy Grimm was an Obama appointment, and he was on the air uh, again. Uh, she was on the air telling America back in. Uh, two weeks prior to that April 6th interview that we had 300 hospitals complaining about backlogs for PPEs and testings and things like that. So she's on there and she's an Obama appointment. You know, she's performing her, her, her duty as a deep stater and trying to sink Trump. And that would be her only motive because, and the reason I say that was because the, the, uh, the uh, the individual I was talking about, his name, you know, Brett Giorgio, he's the admiral, if you will. He was he came right up and hammered back on Jonathan Carl. Now he Jonathan, you know, he goes over. He states first off, Giorgio knew he stated that he knew there were complaints and backlogs at the labs, and the result and the result turnarounds that were he knew about those lot. He knew about them from then the result turnarounds from week couple of weeks ago. But he said. He used his charts. He had his charts up there, and he said, look, look at the ramp up of testing. We can see now what we're testing. We're testing over 150,000 a day. And he went on to say that we've tested over 1.8 million people by April 6th. Well, I mean, here we are 
you know, here we are a long time later, okay? And, uh, and, and I mean, they're well over 2 million tested, like 2.5 million plus tested. Well over that. I mean, they're testing 150,000 a day. He reminded everyone that as of April 6th, when the question was asked, he reminded everyone that we had no issues. We had we had no known issues of massive backlogs or delays. So he says, as of today, we don't have this problem. So why are we asking this question from two weeks ago? Well, they wanted to bring up they wanted to bring up this 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 Christy Grimm story. Okay, that was their plan. So. Jurier had stated his concern, and, and, and the concern of many like myself, <laughs> is that Jonathan Carl and the rest of the Sultans of Sinister fake journalists, they're trying to create innuendo and concern for America. They want people to think the test kits are backlogged and hospitals are not testing adequately. So Jurier, te- he states, he goes, well, Christy Grimm should have come to him. She says, he should, she should have come to me. She and he says she and the media are, are ethically obliged to timely let the assistant HHS secretary know. That's what he's saying. I mean, I'm kind of paraphrasing it, but he was angry that it didn't come to him. So Jurier states that there were complaints two weeks prior about backlogs at some of the major labs that have been rectified. And HHS has worked out with many hospitals that have had their own laboratory derived tests and knowledge that these hospitals didn't understand the regulatory freedoms that they had to use different instruments, things like that. They've established since then a 24-hour call number for assistance. The ACL labs, the ACL labs now have a 24 to 40-hour turnaround. They now have testing mechanisms all over the country with a 45-minute turnaround. And Giorgio stated that if Grimm had a problem that she knew about, she should have reached out to him instead of attempting to create a negative story on the fake news. I love this guy. He was right out there. Boy, he hit him right in the eye with it. And he stated that he found out the morning of April 6th that the concern the hospitals were having. So what made it even more dastardly, okay, was that Christy Grimm had reported her story and didn't go to him. And he's saying, I just found out this morning on April 6th. Because they weren't coming to me about that, about these 300 hospitals. No, instead, she goes running off to the fake news because obviously under target Trump, Operation Get Trump, under that operation, all of these deep staters have to run to the deep state Pravda media in order to get their message out. Because it isn't about the patients. It isn't about the cure. It isn't about the safety of this country. It's about getting Trump. And in order to do that, they've got to get their story on the propaganda networks fast, not get facts. They don't want to get the facts. They don't want to know what PPEs are out there. That's why they keep talking about what happened three weeks ago. As I opened up earlier in the show, that's why Jake Tapper did what Jake Tapper did. You see, Jake Tapper did what he did because he fully understood that it was all about Operation Get Trump. That's what their operation is. That's what they're trying to do. That's why they're rooting against the hydroxychloroquine with the Z-Packs. They're rooting against it. They're rooting for a prolonged a prolonged illness here. They're looking for prolonged pandemonium, prolonged panic, prolonged shutdown. This is what they want. They don't want Trump. And I'll tell you what, Trump knows he's under attack. He knows he's being savaged, and he's got the best solution for this. Again, 
Trump is our Gideon with a sword. Trump is our Samson. Trump is rescuing this country in the nick of time. And God is going to use this man in a mighty way. And God is going to show his power to the American public that, again, Trump, in spite of all the media attempts with their Operation Get Trump, and in spite of the attempts from all the propaganda networks that buy ink by the barrel, in spite of their attempts, Trump is going to overcome them with truth and light. I mean, it's really interesting because they're, they're not even getting it out there that in their reporting that and there, there's a huge downplay on on hospitalization numbers and so forth. And I mean, this is an amazing phenomenon as well. I mean, we see a huge drop in hospitalization numbers, the predictions that they were once having across this country and, of course, in New York, where we've got half of our cases. They've marked a 75% drop in the number of people hospitalized for this Chinese plague. Now, they're seeing this, and, and, you know, and this, again, one New York Times reporter, I guess, and not that I like to quote the New York Times, but it's interesting when they have their own reporters, the blind squirrel finding a nut. I mean, even a blind squirrel can find a nut. The New York Times reporter found a story, you know, and uh, he was repeating this. I mean, where these hospitalization numbers are down. So Andrew the Pious, Andrew the Pious Cuomo, and and he's out there that it's it's unlikely he's saying that New York will see a need for ten for a hundred thousand hospital beds. No kidding. Well, I want to help Andrew the Pious out because Andrew the Pious had all these all this data in front of him, all this data, all these experts, okay, and of course, and all these fake experts all over the news. They're all talking about all the hospital beds and how this is going to be the worst week ever. Well, folks, it's not the worst week ever. It wasn't. Last week wasn't. I mean, look, hospital bed need is down. The anticipation of all of this is down because they're they're learning now. The facts are out there that we likely overreacted by shutting down the entire well country and, of course, the entire planet being shut down. They're now looking at this thing and, okay, well, Trump's realizing he's that this is that this was an overreach because you had the the Fauci shuffle going on, and of course now Trump sees it. Uh, look, I, I would tell you that uh, he sided on the he, he sided on the side of caution because he didn't know what he didn't know. The Chinese were lying about it. We're going to get to that timeline in a little bit. But I mean, the fatalities, I think they're way down because it's not as bad as people thought. But also, I think they could be down because of the issuing of this hydroxychloroquine with the Z-Pack. I mean, even across the United States, the number of hospitalizations predicted just a couple of weeks ago aren't panning out. They're seeing this, and they originally thought they would need upward near 500,000 hospital beds across the country. Now they're seeing that we may need a third of that, and I think that's going to be revised down again. They're revising the numbers down. They're getting the data in, but when, when Annette gets on the phone, we're going to be talking a little bit. We're going to be getting the net on a little bit, but we're going to be talking a little bit about the battlefield solution that Trump is coming up with. It's a battlefield solution, a battlefield medicine, if you will, to fight the Chinese plague. And uh, as we're going to discover and discuss, decisions with initiative win on the battlefield. Decisions with studies and work groups and sufficient analysis, they don't win on battlefields. Initiative wins on battlefields. 
and we need initiative, and Trump has the initiative, and I think this hydroxychloroquine is, I believe, the answer for all of this. And I think what we're finding is the media is fighting this, and, and we're going to discuss this. I I mean, we're, we're fighting with the with the media, and we have to ask ourselves, why are we fighting? Why are we fighting about the answers on this treatment? Why? As if this treatment isn't working or is working. I mean, why are we fighting about it? Are we fighting whether it's working, whether it's not working? No. I mean, we're fighting on the safety of it. I mean, this is pretty insane because they've been using hydroxychloroquine for, for 65 years. This has been prescribed all across the planet. They, I guess they use hydroxychloroquine to treat rheumatoid arthritis as well as lupus, as well as some other immune deficiency diseases and uh, obviously malaria. So it is used. I mean, it's out there. Now, you know, some of the risks they're talking about, headaches and whatnot, they're not near the severity of the risks that you hear about. And uh, yeah, they're not near that. So, I mean, I mean, they're... I mean, I think blindness was one, but they're finding that is it, it almost never happens. Okay. I mean, where it's, it never happens. They've never found it to happen when it's being used as prescribed. It's being, I mean, I guess blindness has occurred, but it's happened. It's occurred with the, uh, with the, uh, with the users that are, that they use it routinely. It's like a long-term use. And I guess they, they use it in a way it's not prescribed. Do we have a net yet? Annette, are you there? Okay, we don't have it. She'll be with us shortly. I want to say in the next minute or two, we'll probably have her on. So stay with us on that. But in the meantime, we'll just carry on like we've been doing. And again, you know, I, I, I just think it's amazing. I mean, we, we're, we're fighting. I mean, infighting affects how doctors. I think this is a very big concern. Annette, are you there? Yeah. Hi, Clay. Hi, Annette. Okay, we've got Annette Baker back with us. We've had uh, a bit of a lapse with Annette. Annette uh, is running her campaign against Judy Schwank, and uh, she is uh, putting together a masterful message that will uh, sink the Marxist Democrat in Reading, I think. And uh, I think as Trump wins the district, <laughs> Annette will also win the district. And I will personally know the person that took out Judy Schwank as a uh, state senator. I'm really thrilled about that. Annette is also a region chair in the Berks County Republican Committee, and Annette is a stay-at-home homeschooler, mom, as uh, well as a very smart, great lady. Hi, welcome back to The Point, Annette. Oh, thanks for having me back. I'm glad to be back. It's been way too long. <laughs> <laughs> sure has. Now, Annette, we were just talking about the infighting. I was just bringing it up to the listeners. So the infighting and how it's affecting doctors and patients, and it's not good. This infighting uh, about hydroxychloroquine, you know, the I think it chills the debates that doctors are supposed to have with their patients. Doctors are holding off on saying things they they wouldn't have said before the crisis. Now they're they're, they're holding they're just not communicating the same way. And as we were talking about, why is why are we having this fight over this? And I was pointing out like I believe the fight is largely due to the fact that some of the uh, because the operation target Trump operation get Trump is underway with the Pravda propaganda, and they're out there every day trying to sink him every chance they get. And that's why they're fighting this. They don't want a battlefield medicine that works. They want, they want a prolonged pandemic. At least that's the feeling I get. I've heard some say they just think that maybe the media malpractice is a result that they're trying to create a story. But what are your thoughts? Well, I, excuse me, I, I 
personally, I was just talking to a couple of people about that today that, you know, it, it seems to me that why, why would they be fighting the president so much, um, particularly in the media, um, you know, trying to, to say that he's uh, somehow secretly profiting from uh, the use of hydro- hydroxychloroquine or uh, the, the common name for it is Plaquenil. Um, he must be profiting from it. That's why he's constantly talking about it. Um, I cannot understand why people would be so uh, up in arms about a potential, uh, not necessarily a cure, but definitely something that will help people survive this illness. I don't understand it. Um, I, I don't understand why uh, they would continually attack the president um, for suggesting that this might be something that will work. Um, and at this point, you know, the president was was actually the person that signed into law the right to try bill, the act that allows patients who know that they are terminal, know that they are dying and have very little to no other recourse. They then have a right to sign a waiver saying that they understand the risks and they're willing to take the risk to try an experimental treatment to save their life. He signed that bill um, to, to make that open to people who are dying, you know, from cancer or other illnesses that are terminal. They that now have a right to try. Why would we not allow that with this situation as well? If you know your loved one is in critical condition, they're on a ventilator, they most likely will not come off. And and statistically, sadly, the majority of folks that end up on a ventilator are not coming off the ventilators and surviving. It's very low. Um, they are seeing an improvement because they are using combinations of drugs, the Plaquenil with azithromycin or ZPAC, and then also um, zinc. Uh, they're finding that, that people are, it's shortening the length of the illness, shortening the severity, making it less severe. Um, I don't understand why they would not want to encourage doctors to try this. And you're right. You know, everyone screams about with the abortion issue. Well, there shouldn't be anyone between a doctor and the woman who wants to kill her baby. And yet here they are willing to interject themselves between a patient and a doctor and the doctor being able to give someone a chance at survival. Well, you know, it's, um, it's funny. It's funny that, that, that and, you know, th- as we talked about, this is affecting how doctors talk to patients. This is not serving the public. That's why I call it media malpractice. It's perverting the process. You know, we we know so much about hydroxychloroquine. We know so much about it. Why? Because it's been around for almost seventy years. It's all been around for almost seventy years. This is showing real promise in treatments, and we we see politicians, and again. The media malpractice occurring with their calling this anecdotal. And, you know, maybe earlier it was, you know, I mean, look, it, it was a few weeks ago, but now it's not. I mean, you see you see facts out there, statistical facts where it's working. We do need to know. We have to figure out why it works and when do we begin to prescribe it. There are things we need to know and what to prescribe with it, which antibiotic. And that's why they're is- continuing to do the tests. Right. They're continuing to do double blind studies where they can test whether or not it's actually working. Right. And, it's, and, and Plaquenil is not the only drug. There's another drug that's made by a company in California, Gilead Sciences. Um, I think it's 
Redemtafir, um, which is another antiviral um, medication that, uh, believe it or not, China actually filed to patent that medication, which if they are given the patent, um, we won't be getting it here in the United States, uh, most likely given the uh, the uh, environment right now with the way most people are feeling about pharmaceuticals from China. Um, but that is, is one of, I believe there's 10 total, 10 different uh, drug regimens that they're investigating to see which ones are working. And you're right, it's not going to work the same in every patient because every patient can have side effects that aren't anticipated. Um, and there are things that need to be investigated. But, you know, I always go back to if it's a difference between losing someone's life and giving them a shot at something that might help them, if you know that you're at the at that point where it, this is a last last ditch effort to save their life, you might as well let them try. And I think that's what a lot of people are saying. You know, let people try. Well, I remember the the, the Michigan governor, Christy Halfwit. I think her with Christy Whitman. I think her Christy <laughs> Halfwit. Christy Halfwit. That's what the Trump call her Halfwit. Look, I mean, <laughs> look, the, we're not claiming. I mean, she. she she basically was preventing this from being prescribed unless the FDA announced that it was a, announced it as a treatment. And so she had a Democrat lawmaker, state lawmaker that turned around and said, you better be opening this up or I'm going to die. She said, because I'm sick as I'm sick, sick. And mm-hmm. so I guess, I guess half wit decided to open it up and now they're using this in, in Michigan and this Democrat lawmaker survived fully. She fully recovered. And I suspect she might be voting for Trump now. <laughs> Because because Trump made this possible. Look, I mean, we we this is not a panacea. I mean, I, I, and I'm not trying to say. I don't think I don't think Annette is saying that either. But we have to respect no. the data. We have to respect the data. Look, instead we're fighting off discussion on safety, whether it's safe to use. This is insane. Look, doctors need to prescribe according to the needs of the patient. Period. Instead, what's happening is people are panicked to even try it because of the discussion that you see. With Operation Get Trump on the Pravda propaganda networks. It's what they're doing. And so they're panicking people. I mean, completely panicking people. I mean, it's um, unbelievable. This concern is coming from their malpractice and the globalist politicians whom are trying, whom I think they're seemingly rooting for the process or the success of the Chinese plague over this country. They want to see a prolonged plague because they, uh, look, I, I've talked to people who think I have a tinfoil hat on, but let me make, let me make one thing clear. When you see politics being inserted to drug treatments during during a war with a with a with a plague, then you have to understand that they're inserting politics because of what they're trying to beat Trump. No, they're trying to use this virus as a weapon to sink the president, and they're trying to make they're just giving him resistance at every turn. And Trump is fighting him on it. Trump is revealing this, and Trump is calling them out. Look, they're undermining the fundamental process of discussion development between doctors and patients, as Annette and I were just saying. The fundamentals remain the same. This treatment has not yet been proven to be significant through randomized trials. We know this. But as I said, this is a battlefield medicine. I mean, what what, what do you know about this guy in France, Annette? Do you know anything about his study? Uh, which which one in particular? The, the guy in France. He 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 did a study, uh, a ten day study. I guess he's he hasn't released the data on it, but 
in France, they did a, they did a this trial with this doctor, this world leading doctor. And what they did was they put they put folks on they put patients hydroxy on hydroxychloroquine with the C back with the Z pack, and they found that nearly all recovered over the virus in ten days, and that it reduced infection. They had five fatalities. They had ten people went to the ICU out of a thousand patients with very few side effects and they're all mild side effects now so they're still learning but that that's a big trial a thousand people and five people died and 10 went to the icu but my goodness that's about a 95 percent treatment rate i mean what would you say in that yeah i think it shows promise i think you know obviously we need to have more studies um and and you know there's there's a lot of things that are going to be done Moving forward, once we start moving the economy forward, we open the economy back up a little bit. Obviously, you know, we have to keep evaluating um, the the drug treatments and the different um, methodology as to how they're investigating all of this stuff that has to continue. Um, and, the, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, there is anecdotal evidence that this stuff is working. Dr. Siegel, who appears on Fox News, actually was telling a story it's, it's, about a 92... 92- it's more than anecdotal, sorry, isn't, it? isn't it? More than anecdotal? Yeah, no, it, it's it is because he actually said that uh, you know he told the story about a ninety-two year old gentleman who was admitted um, to the ICU, was going on to a ventilator, um, was given the drug treatment plan with the uh, Plaquenil and the and the uh, Z Pack and and the zinc, and he called him two days later and talked to him because it was his own father. And he said, this is something that we need to continue to look at. He said, my dad survived because he had this treatment. And that's the kind of thing. And, and, you know, I'm with you on this. I don't understand why we would want this to continue. Why would we not want to try everything possible to save lives and and try to shorten the length of this? Right. And rooting for the success of the treatments, the battlefield treatments. Trump is rooting for the drugs. The drug, the drug treatments to work, and the press is hitting him on it, saying he's giving false hope. Folks, this is insane. Now, look, if anyone doubts, anyone doubts my assertion that these bureaucrats and the Pravda propaganda networks are, in fact, in Operation Get Trump. They're, in fact, rooting for the virus to prevail against our country and against the world. Ask yourself this very important, relevant question. Would this concern of effectiveness and safety of this drug treatment even be a discussion today had it not been brought up in a presidential press conference? No, it wouldn't be. I can answer that. It's a rhetorical question. (laughs) It wouldn't be because the concept existed before the president brought it up, folks. All right, this stress test, if you will, as to whether my assertion is rational or not, folks, trust me, the, the, politis, the politization of is, is, totally, is totally disgusting that these people, these people are on a jihad against the president because as I have always stated, and Nett and I have gone back on this, and for the last year and a half we've been talking on this, they hate Trump more than they love their country. And the evidence of this has never been more apparent and watching them watching their resistance to this drug treatment. And their resistance is not because of safety. Their resistance is not because, gee, it's not a tested medicine. Their resistance is what if it works? We could actually get our economy back sooner 
And and they don't have to deal with Trump for four more years. They don't want to deal with that. And as their big fear is, Trump will never give up power. He'll be there for another 20 years. And that, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that is their their biggest fear. Um, and, you know, everyone said that, you know, his his one of the biggest things to overcome is a positive economy when you are an opponent in an election. Um, one of the biggest things that they said was that, you know, whoever was going to be the Democrat nominee had to find some way to draw attention away from the really robust economy that we had, it, you know, and the president today in the press in his press conference, which, you know, is amazing to look at all of the things that go on when he has these press conferences. He talks about all of the different things that the media does and how they are continually hammering at how inept this economy uh, or the uh, administration has been in their handling of this pandemic, how horrible everything has been. Um, and he repeatedly tells them the governors are not complaining. And, and I hear this on social media and people that I talk to, there are people that are involved, you know, in, in, in the medical practices and they're, they're talking about how they don't have PPEs and they don't have this and they don't have that. And I said, what's your hospital doing about it? What is your governor doing about it? And they don't have an answer because this is the, this is where it breaks down between those of us that believe in individual liberty, individual rights, and the ability of our, of us to take care of ourselves instead of always looking to a larger governmental body to do what needs to be done. The governor's responsibility is to tell the federal government, if they can't get what they need, they need to go to the feds and say, this is what we need. And then Help. FEMA is supposed yes. to deliver. Help. But that now, is the way it's supposed to work. The you, hospitals have to talk to the governors. Yep. You, you, and you, know, you and I were talking about this all week. I mean, bottom line is, I mean, the hospital, the governor's, that failed to, to to fill up their necessary PPEs. They failed to put it in their budgets. They weren't thinking about a pandemic. And so when the when everything hit, they're all blaming Trump because the national stockpile was down. Well, folks, the national stockpile is for the government. The government has two and a half million employees. That's almost the population of Connecticut for crying out loud. Okay, that work for the federal government. They have to. So the PPEs are for the doctors that take care of them for the federal hospitals, the Fed, the VAs, and whatnot. And so the states have to take care of their own deal. They have to budget for their own deal. And the states haven't been doing that. Now, I'm not pointing no. fingers. I'm just making a statement. But I think what's also compelling, and Annette and I were talking about this, and I'd like to wrap the show up with this conversation, because Annette and I were really going into this. Our concern on this, on what's happening and what we're watching, first off, I've been, and, and, and people have been listening to my show, they know how I have been on this. And Annette, obviously, and how we both have been talking about this. We have been totally against the shutting down of our economy over this virus. I never saw this Chinese plague as being so bad that it ravaged so horribly that we would, should, should be shutting us down. Something where one out of every 10,000 people contracted and one out of 100 of them die from it. I think that it's just not it's not that many people. And I think, you know, we, we, we experienced and I, I remember making a comparison with auto accidents in in this country, we suffer about 50,000 auto fatalities every year in this country. You know, 45 to 50,000 right in that window. Well, I mean, my goodness, if the Chinese plague kills 50 or 60,000, that's about the same number of people that die in auto accidents. 
And we shut down an entire economy over this. Look, I'm not hitting our president. We both Annette and I support the president and what he did. He and I, and I still believe that maybe there's something out there that that he knows that he's not sharing with the public. But let me make no mistake on this, folks. OK, we are watching people salivate over this. Our Democrat governor and all the Democrats everywhere and a handful of Republicans. I mean, a very small handful because most Republicans aren't like this. But some of the handful of Republican, the establishment Republicans that like big government, they like bureaucratic systems like all these liberals do. They trust government to take care of them. They trust in government and the bureaucratic process. Well, folks, if you want to know what they would do in, in a real case of a real emergency, look no further than what they're doing now in a case like this and how they're taking away the rights. Annette, what are some thoughts on that you can share with our audience today? Well, I think that you brought up for me what is the hot button topic um, and has really just motivated me to um, really ramp up my my thinking and my uh, approach to things. My concern is the overall loss of, of rights. Um, what the governor has done now, what they're doing here in Berks County with um, encouraging people to, uh, you know, tell Tell the state police if if you see someone who's not wearing a mask at a at a store or whatever. It it just that kind of thing concerns me greatly because we we are losing our liberties under the guise of public safety. Well, we're giving them away, and they're willingly exactly. Them well, up. well, they're being taken away. I would yeah, I but- would say that. The majority of us are seeing them as taken away, but you're right. People are giving them away because they are not fighting back and saying, "Hey, this is not this is not okay." I think people, to a point, are willing to say, for the public safety, for public good, I'm willing to give up some freedom. But there will come a point where they will say, "Uh, uh-uh, this is too far. This is a bridge too far," you know. And and you're right. I think that there are other countries that. Um, and particularly other parts of the United States that have not been ravaged by the coronavirus that could have, in theory, the stayed Chinese, open. The Chinese, the Chinese um, plague, right? Correct. The the uh, CCP virus. <laughs> the as, the, as the Epic Times called it, the CCP virus. Oh, um, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's great. Because, you know, they did try to say that it originated here in the United States and we brought it over and released it. And then that's why everybody over there died. Oh, wait, not that many people. Never mind. They see they can't keep their lives straight either. Um, So, you know, that that is the thing that concerns me is that the continually, you know, the continual process of taking away our freedoms and people are okay with it. I mean, I've talked to people that are like, hey, they are just trying to protect the public. You have to flatten the curve. You have to do everything that everything possible. Don't don't go anywhere. Don't talk to anybody. You know, like it is beyond. Some people are just so far beyond. And and now what we're seeing is what I fear is mental illness is starting to set in in some people because you're seeing physical altercations because someone's not wearing a mask. Uh huh. In Philadelphia, they had a man pulled off a bus. That's right. Because he didn't have a mask on and the bus driver was upset and said, you need to get off the bus. And he said, but I, I don't want to get off the bus. And they said, you're getting off the bus. So they had 10 cops come and they pulled him off the bus. Um, there was a woman who was, who was assaulted. He's 86 years old. She died because she didn't have a mask on. You mean she got assaulted this, to death? 
she got assaulted. Yeah, she was punched and fell and hit the ground. Apparently had a head injury or some other kind of injury. I don't remember exactly what it was. Um, but she was actually assaulted and died from the assault. Oh, my God. Because she didn't have a mask on. There are people getting arrested, walking on an empty beach because they don't have a mask on. Now, we can't even go to a store like a Walmart or a Lowe's or Home Depot, you know, any of those kinds of big box stores. You can't go in there and buy garden stuff. You can't buy seeds to plant your own garden now. Because the government, the particularly here in Pennsylvania, they have said nurseries and, you know, p- people that supply plants are non-essential. So now all of the stores have to rope those areas off as well. Oh, my goodness. So that is a kind of draconian implementation. This so are, you is saying, socialism. Are, you saying, are you saying that Democrats would give us much more of that in the event of a next pandemic? Or are you saying that maybe some a handful, of, a small handful of Republicans would give us much more of that? Or do we need more constitutionalists in there that would respond to actual data and facts so we're not constantly moving the goalposts with the changing models, correct? I mean, what are you saying? You're saying that this was an overreaction and that they're using this as a means to take away our liberties? Absolutely. I think this is an opportunity <laughs> to try That's socialism. That's right. This is this is like our trial run of socialism. And this is what right. I you know plan on talking to people about is this has been your taste of socialism. This is your taste. This of is what, your what, taste of what's to come this is if what you put yes. the people in charge that believe that this is Saul Alinsky taught these That's these right. people the Democrats. He was one of their main teachers for many yep. of these people growing up in the sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, and beyond. And he taught them, never let a crisis go to waste. Well, I'll tell you something. I think that if Hillary Clinton was the president right now, you would have already had martial law declared. And uh, she'd be out there uh, eliminating civilian government wherever she needed to. And, uh, I mean, this is what would happen. All in the name of safety and public safety. And trust me, folks, what they're seeing now in the data it's it's unbelievable. When you see 90% of all the fatalities had an underlying condition with that person that died. All not, 90%, that's almost all of them. Healthy people survive this thing. And and you know, and when if the underlying conditions aren't that serious, she'll survive it. Look, I, I, I'm not trying to minimize this. This is at least three or four times worse than the flu. It, it really is. And the flu kills about 60, about 60,000 a year in this country. We know that. So it's three times worse than the flu. We would have lost about 200,000. I believe we'd have lost 200,000. Had Trump not done anything, we'd have lost about two, maybe two to 300,000. I, I don't think there's any question about that. I think the mitigation efforts have worked. My problem is I think that the what we're seeing now is that the mitigation efforts, uh, the, the cure is being coming worse than the condition. And that's where my concern is. I've been against this all along. I mean, look, I, I, I personally have been against this. I, I've been telling people in Montgomery County, I mean, over and over, folks, not that many people can get this. Not that many people have it. Well, but it, the numbers could be 10 times that. Oh, I, oh, so if there are 10 times 150, then that's 1,500. Montgomery's a county with 900,000 people. I mean, my goodness, folks, and only a percent, like t- 8 or 10% to become hospitalized. We know that, too. 
And I mean, they're coding that they're they're not coding the deaths correctly. As Annette, you pointed out to me earlier this week that um, mm-hmm. that uh, auto accidents, people die in an auto accident when the person had COVID. Well, they're mar- being marked as a COVID death. Am I right, Annette? Yeah, I've heard a number of reports. A number of states are questioning the coding um, because they're they're questioning why if someone tests positive for COVID but doesn't have uh, they may be what they call asymptomatic. You don't have any active symptoms of the disease, um, but they may uh, you know pass away from some other kind of illness. Um, I'd heard one um, <clears throat> excuse me one. Uh, case they said that uh, I believe it was a, uh, a child under the age of one or maybe the child was around one in Connecticut the governor uh, cited this particular case said that the child had died from COVID and that's why everybody needs to take it seriously and that's why they're doing the lockdown type of thing you know stay at home stay at home orders that kind of thing um, come to find out when they did a little more digging it was an accidental death um, the child's mother or a caregiver, they were co-sleeping and had actually rolled over and accidentally smothered the child. Um, tragic story uh, that that does happen. Um, but the child's death was listed as COVID nineteen because the child actually did have COVID nineteen. Well, um, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to wrap the show up here. But I mean, we're gonna be talking on on the Watchmen coming up, and Net and I will be handling that. And we're gonna be talking about the COVID timeline. I think there's a lot of discussion on that, but I also want to talk a little bit about the nuanced distractions that are coming up from this Operation Target Trump uh, from the Pravda Propaganda Networks and their operation to take out Trump and uh, how they've been using the the healthcare workers that were infected, the numbers of healthcare workers as a cudgel in their in their attempt to uh, to facilitate Operation Take Out Trump. So we're going to be getting into that a little bit more um, in the Watchmen, but we do appreciate you being with us today. And that thanks for taking the time for jumping into the conversation. And we're looking forward to having you back on the Watchmen uh, later on today. But we want to thank all of our listeners for being with us today, for tuning in. We appreciate you tuning in at this point to what uh, I should say, listening to the point every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. right here on AM radio, 780, 1180 WFYL for this distinctive, compelling discussion. Some of our audience listens to The Point live at 1180WFYL.com by clicking the Listen Live button. Others go to YouTube and search WFYL on the YouTube box, and you'll see the Listen Live block there, and you can hit it there. Others simply listen to us while they're in the listening area. However you choose to listen to us, we appreciate it. That's why we are here. See you next Saturday on The Point. For Annette Baker, I'm Clay Brees. Goodbye for now.